like, and subscribe. Hello, fight fans, and welcome to The One, the unofficial podcast of The One Fighting Championship. For those of you just catching up, we had kind of an abbreviated episode last week. We covered One Fight Night 19, and then I promised you two episodes ago that I was going to watch Road to UFC Shanghai and report back with my findings. Well, I did, in fact, watch Road to UFC Shanghai. I, when I made that commitment, I did not realize that it was four two-hour episodes, so I spent basically all of, uh, all of Sunday and Monday morning watching UFC Road to Shanghai. But I just ran out of time to record and to publish it and everything. I had said on the last podcast I had an event I was going to that was Amera Vespa in Flagstaff, Arizona. Went out there, met up with some uh, friends, some former coworkers. I used to work at Vespa Motorsport in San Diego. Shout out to those guys at Vespa Motorsport. But we went out there. I rented a motorcycle with a sidecar. Me and my partner rode all over. We rode up to Sedona. Did a bunch of partying, drank every night. It was a really good time. So shout out to all those guys from the uh, Vespa Motorsport crew. But that's why I couldn't get this done. I was too busy drinking and eating delicious food and hanging out with my friends. Uh, something that uh, some of you people have no, have never done in your life. So uh, I could get it if you don't understand why the episode's not ready. But the good news is we're doing this special episode now just for you, my loving fans. And just to remind you, you know, I did pay like 80 bucks to get UFC Fight Pass, something I'll probably never use again. I mean, am I going to see like Anthony Smith compete in grappling tournaments or I don't know, maybe I will watch it. Who knows? But I doubt it. Uh, I, I got it for this. I also, hey. For, for for the listening audience, for the podcast people, I'm pointing at a new banner I got. It's very beautiful. It's big. It's much better than the old paper sign for the studio that's hanging above it now. Slowly, I'm filling this room out. It's looking less and less like the uh, office of a manager of a rehab center and more like a podcast studio. So a little bit at a time. But you know, all these things cost money. And as I'm sure all of my listeners know, money is not endless, you know? And so I would like to eventually someday recruit, recoup my investment into this podcast. And what's the best way to do that? Well, I mean, the best way is for you to uh, mail me a box of money with some nude pictures in it and, and mail that to my house. But second best thing is to go grab that mouse, slide over to that subscribe button, click on that subscribe button, hit that like button, go in the comments. Tell me how awful I am and how obnoxious I am, because positive or negative, all those comments help. And then go click on that share button and tell your friends, hey, there's a handsome, sexy, Hawaiian shirt-wearing MMA podcaster, and I hate him. I'm sending you this video to show you how much I hate him. And then do that. And then I imagine probably six Eight more weeks of this, I'll have millions of followers, I'll be monetized, I'll be a millionaire, I'll be able to rent a studio, I'll be able to hire a producer, and I'll be able to crank out like 10 times, and most importantly, I'll be able to quit my job. That's the most important thing. So just do that for me. I'm doing a lot for you. You do that for me. We're friends, right? Right, of course. 
All right. So before we get started, the most important thing, you know, the fuel that keeps this creative process going, alcohol. And today, my cider of the week is actually a Topo Chico Ranch Water Hellard Seltzer. So it's not a cider at all. It's a hard seltzer. But as you know, I'm doing the keto. I'm trying to cut back on sugar, trying to lose some weight. So when I do become rich and famous, I'm not a fat slob like so many of my fans. I mean, not you, my other. It's 100% agave and real lime juice, spiked sparkling water with minerals added for taste. And it's the most important part. It's just the good thing is it's only 100 calories. The bad thing is it's only 4.7% alcohol. So I can't guarantee how good the episode's going to be because it's only 4.7% alcohol. But we'll see. We'll give it a try, you know? Well, you know, as far as soda water goes, Topo Chico's my favorite. It's got the most bubbles. It's got the best flavor. And uh, this kind of reminds me of Topo Chico if, if, you, if you crushed up a bunch of aspirin and put it in there. It's not good. We'll just leave it at that. I don't think it's like the actual Topo Chico water either. Yeah. Produced and bottled in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's about as far from uh, the, those springs in Mexico that Topo Chico's bottled at as you could get. No offense to my many viewers in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is really just a low rent Chicago. All right. Now that we've got all that business out of the way, why don't we get started, folks? So UFC Road to Shanghai. You know, originally when I saw this uh, ad for this pop up on the fight night the week before, I wasn't sure uh, if I was going to do anything with this. Nobody else seemed to be covering it. Nobody really seemed to care. So that seemed like the perfect uh, opportunity for me to do something with this. I love Asian MMA. You know, obviously, this is the unofficial podcast of the one championship fighting organization. So, you know, MMA in Asia is close to my heart. And, uh, you know, historically, the UFC hasn't hasn't really been great with Asian MMA. They're they're they're. It's pretty rare that they put on events there. They don't usually have the top talent from Asia. I mean, that's not their fault. Most of the top talent from Asia goes to goes to one. So there's a reason for that. You know, that's like that's like blaming one for not having the best fighters in America. But this this seemed intriguing to me, you know, and it's like clearly the UFC is is trying to do something different and you know, even though it's in the octagon and it's with the UFC rule set, it, it's kind of cool that they're showcasing Asian fighters. Some of the fighters that came out of the first season of Road to UFC have had great careers in the, in the UFC, some not so much. But I was interested to see. And, you know, it was kind of a slow week in MMA in general. So I uh, put this episode together and I think uh, I think. If you haven't, here's my advice. If you haven't checked out Road to UFC, I would say check it out. I would say it's worth your time, especially considering the, uh, I'm, I'm recording this on the Monday following the weekend where like two weekends after, and we just had Albasi versus Kaikara France and, and one Friday, Friday fights, 19. And 
this road to road to UFC Shanghai was more way more entertaining than both of those. So if you're on the fence about this, it's definitely worth your time. It is eight hours, so maybe break it up, but it's worth watching. So let's get into it. You know, this is a bracket style tournament, 32 Asian fighters. Actually, it's it's 31 Asian fighters and one American for some reason. He's Asian, though, I'm pretty sure. But he's American, so he's 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 not Asian. Four divisions, eight fighters in each division. And of course, the divisions are super heavyweight, heavyweight, women's featherweight, and men's light heavyweight. Kidding. Kidding. Of, of course it's not. It's flyweight, bantamweight, featherweight, and lightweight. I don't think there's 32 fighters in, the, in all of Asia that would fit into those categories of super heavyweight, heavyweight, women's featherweight, and lightweight, light heavyweight, but it's besides the point. Um, so this was just the uh, preliminary, the quarterfinals, if you will, and the fi- semifinals and finals will be taking place later this year. They didn't have those dates nailed down yet, so I don't know if it'll be on Fight Pass again or if we'll see them like on the preliminary fights for pay-per-views or, or when we'll see them. But they're coming they're, by the end of the year. We're going to have this tournament uh, figured out. So the event actually took place over two nights, but it was actually broken up into four episodes. And each of the episodes were about two hours long. The first two episodes covered the flyweight and featherweight bouts. And then episodes three and four, that was the bantamweights and the lightweights. So by the, in the first two episodes, all of the flyweight and featherweight fights were done. And then by the end of the fourth episode, you know, they did all the bantamweight and lightweight. So there's five fights per an episode. Each episode opens up with a non-tournament bout, and then there's four tournament bouts. As far as commentary, you got John Gooden, who's very good, pleasing accent, and Laura Sanko on commentary. And let me just tell you, I love Laura Sanko. I know she's very Christian and probably doesn't believe in divorce, but if she ever does get divorced, your boy's here waiting for you. You know? I love a woman that can discuss a good leg lock. I really hope you see a lot of her in the UFC. I hope she starts doing more fight cards and eventually she's doing pay-per-views. She's super she's super uh, educated on the fight game. She's very technical. And uh, on top of that, she's super duper hot. So it was awesome to have her calling call this fight. And then the, 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 the man in the field, if you would, the, uh, the uh, guy doing the post, post-fight interviews, and uh, the person doing kind of the backstage stuff was Alan Joban. And I got to say, Alan Joban really wants to call a UFC fight card one day because he's willing to fly all the way to Shanghai to do these post-fight interviews. Uh, he's a real company man. And da- damn sexy, too. I mean, that is a good-looking man, that Alan Joban. As hot as Laura Senko is, Alan Joban is like the, the male equivalent to Laura Senko, I say. And, you know, I will say, I wasn't sure what to expect from this event. The lighter weight classes in the UFC typically don't have a lot of finishes, you know. So I was wondering if we're going to see a bunch of boring decisions. Especially after the opening fight. You know, the first fight of the first episode was one of those non-tournament bouts. And it featured a Thai Muay Thai striker and a Mongolian striker. And the Thai Muay Thai guy wrestled his opponent for 10 minutes straight, you know just laid on top of them. So I was like, oh man, is this what we're getting into? Is this going to be just like 
decision after this decision. But, you know, I was actually really surprised at how fun this entire event was and uh, how many exciting fights and finishes there was. You know, the Chinese fans remind me of pride fights in Japan. And I know some of the some of the listeners might not have been around for the pride stuff. And if you weren't, definitely pause this and watch every pride fight uh, over its its 12 year history. But in pride, similar to this Chinese crowd, the crowd's very silent. There's no there's no background. There's no buddy yelling, rip his head off. Stop, stop wrestling him, you bunch of gay people like there is in North America. So it's very different. You know, the, the, unlike North American uh, crowds, the fans are, are very educated and, and they understand the fight game. And that's, that's because they're very quiet because they're watching so closely. That's what, that's what you do. For my North American fans who don't know, when something's going on, you watch it closely and don't have to constantly fill the silence by yelling and throwing beer cans. But hey, that's neither here nor, nor there. The, the Chinese fans are awesome. They're very educated. It shows you that MMA is, is very popular there. They, their understanding of not just the stand-up, but the ground game is, is, is quite high. And, you know, that's, that's relevant because the, the Chinese fan base, the Chinese population, is going to be vital for the future of MMA. The organization that goes on to dominate the Chinese market will be the largest MMA organization in the world. And the UFC is doing this tournament to try to ensure that they are the ones who lock in that Chinese market. The only problem for them is that one is already well on its way to securing the Chinese market. And the UFC knows it. You could see that this road to UFC tournament is clearly an attempt to compete with one championship in Asia. They even stole the name. I mean, how long has one been doing road to one in a bunch of different countries? It's the same idea. It's the same concept. UFC didn't even come up with a new name. I commend them for doing this. Like, it's smart of the UFC to do this. But they should acknowledge. I mean, they never will. But let's all collectively acknowledge that this is because the UFC sees what's in the future, that the Chinese market is going to one FC. And they have to try now to scramble to catch up to get that market because it's going to be more important than the American market someday, probably like within the next 10 years. You know, and if 10 years seems like a short amount of time, remember that 10 years ago, the UFC didn't even have the Fox deal. They were on like Spike TV. So a lot can happen in 10 years. I'll give, I'll give you an example of that. So the featherweight bracket, the featherweight tournament bracket has one Korean fighter two Japanese fighters, and five Chinese fighters. So who do you think this is marketed to? You know, I, I think no amount of catch-up by the UFC is going to be able to compete with, with one. They already have so many Chinese fighters, so many Chinese stars. They're based in that area. You know, I, I think it's inevitable that in the next 10 years, one is the dominant force in MMA, even in North America. You know, but this is – that's why we're doing this. You know, make no mistake about it. Road to UFC, road to one, it's all about China. That's also why there's all those PIs in, in China. There's there's one PI in the US, there's three in China. There's a reason for that. They also uh, kind of reworded 
the rules of the octagon, like at the start of the event to make it seem like they were more focused on action. You know, it's the same rules. It's the same new rules of North American MMA that they use in the U.S. They just kind of changed the way that they talked about it. So it seemed like they were more focused on action. And again, this is to compete with one. Because in North America, the rumor is starting to be that one is more exciting than the UFC. One is more focused on finishing than the UFC. So UFC wants to counteract that. In fact, some evil monster in the UFC even put my sweet Laura Sanko up to saying on the broadcast of the first episode that these fighters are used to fighting under the global rule set, which rewards defense. I mean, are we like in opposite land right now? <laughs> we just did we just did the first one fight on US soil. And 10 of the 12 fights ended in finishes or submissions. You know, you compare that with a normal UFC, and they're lucky to get up to like 40 or 50%. And don't get me wrong, UFC's been on a streak lately, but typically they're at like 40 or 50% finish rate. One's at close to 70 almost every, every event, if not higher. More on that later. That's just funny that they, they thought they could say that. I mean, I guess people probably will believe it. If you're just a UFC person, and there's nothing wrong with that, but if you're someone who only watches UFC and you're none the wiser and you hear that, maybe you'll believe it. You know, I know for me, like when I first started watching MMA and I only watched UFC, I didn't know anything about pride because on the broadcast, they never said the word pride. So I didn't even know there was an organization out there. They could have told me anything about pride and I would have believed it. So maybe, maybe that, that is a good strategy, but it's not true. It's, it's blatantly false. All right. So like I said, this was broken down into episodes. And since there's eight hours content here, I'm not going to go through every single fight. There's five fights on four different cards, a lot to go over. I'm just going to kind of cherry pick some of the best action from the four events just to kind of go over some of the things that I thought were important from this tournament to hopefully um, kind of cover the general idea of this event. So if if you've seen it, we could kind of discuss it together and enjoy it as uh, as MMA, hardcore MMA fans. Or if you haven't seen it, you could hear how awesome it is. Uh, and even though I've spoiled like all the best fights, you could go back and watch it. So you know, if that's not a, a, a great sales pitch, I don't know what is, people. So for episode one, the UFC, Road to UFC Shanghai started off with a bang. I would say that probably, not probably, definitely, the fight of the night was going to be Ray Saruya versus uh, Ranal Siasan. And Saruya was like a minus 1,000 favorite. So I'm assuming that this is a seeded tournament. So what, what seeded tournaments means is that it, it's a tournament where the best guy, like the number one guy, fights the number 16 guy. And then the number two guy fights the number 15 guy. The reason I'm saying that, they didn't say that outright, but the reason I'm saying that is because closest fight was the main event. And in that fight, the favorite was like a plus 300. So these were a lot of lopsided fights. But the reason I like seeded tournaments is because there's a lot of action. And there wasn't in, in this one. And especially in the fight with Ray Siruya. You know, he has all the makings of the future 
UFC Japanese star. People often ask me, you know, I'll get messages and and people will, will just ask me, you know, uh, like out in the street because they recognize me. Like my one of my 20 subscribers will recognize me out in the street. And they'll say, hey, how is it that Pride used to be bigger than the UFC? They would have events at Saitama Super Arena with 70,000 people. And now there's not even a Japanese UFC star. Well, I mean, things change over time. You know, the the Pride... Pride went away because of a, a Yakuza scandal, and, and that's a big deal in Japan. You know, it probably wouldn't be a big deal in American culture, but in Japan it is. And that really hurt Japanese MMA. But there are young stars out there that can be the next rising star, guys, j- guys from Japan who could be big in the UFC and in one. And Rei Saruya is one of them. I mean, he's probably your, your best bet for that Japanese star uh, to cross over into um, North American fame. He's exciting. He's charismatic. He's super talented. He nearly got the submission in the first round by Twister. You know, I think there's probably been less than like six or seven Twisters in the, in the UFC. And this guy almost landed one. He was close. I scored that as a 10-8 round for Saruya against Sia. Sia Hanan. Similarly, round two was all Saruya. He landed the Ishigari takedown, and then he locks up the uh, Katsuka, Katsuka Tamari armbar, you know? And that was the uh, highly talented Laura Senko, expertly identified that one. You know, Laura, give me a call. If you like long walks on the beach and internet intimate conversations about armbars, I'm your boy. Ultimately, ultimately, that led to the set. Anyways, that led to the second round finish for Saruya. So Saruya said in the post-fight interview, which are very awkward, by the way, because you have an American guy, and then the announcer is translating to uh, Mandarin, and then you got the fighters translator translating to Japanese, and they got to do this whole daisy chain. It's not great, but I guess that's the only way to do it until ChatGPT figures this stuff out. We'll see what happens in the next couple of years. So Saruya thinks he's going to keep submitting his way all the way to the fly, uh, flyweight tournament finale. And you know, I agree. I think you're looking at the flyweight road to UFC uh, champion, and you'll definitely see him in the UFC very soon. Other action on this fight, we saw Sangwon Kim KO uh, Kasuki Sasu, and that was in the second round of the contest. And then we also saw Ija landing an impressive first round armbar on Muzasa Becca Jahafo. And so we had five fights, we had three finishes, 60% finish rate, which is excellent. I mean, the UFC has been on a roll lately. I don't want people to think that because this is the one championship podcast that I don't like the UFC. I love the UFC. That's what got me into MMA in the first place. I'm a big fan of the UFC. I'm a big fan. I appreciate what the UFC has done for MMA in North America. You know, and this is an example of of how great the UFC can be at times. You know, let's at, at the time of the recording of this, we were just coming off Hill versus Dern that had a 50% finish rate, which is excellent. Half of the fights ended in a finish. The week before, that was just to refresh your memory, that's Almeida versus Rosenstruck, 63% finish rate. The pay per view, Sterling versus Cejudo, 54% finish rate. The week before that, Yadong versus Simone. 
54% finish rate. And the week before that was Pavlich versus Blades, 45% finish rate. So the UFC has been on a roll lately. I mean, so has one. You know, if you watch some of my other episodes, you know that uh, in one FC, the Friday the Friday fights, you know, that sometimes they have like 70% finish rate, you know, 10 out of 12 fights will end and finish, but the UFC's right up there. They're they're doing they're doing really well right now. They're delivering a lot of entertainment for the fans. Just wanted to put that out there. So then we had episode two. Uh that was Lee Kai Wen versus Lu Kai, two Chinese fighters. And in uh Alan Joban's reporting, he said they added 100 seats to the Shanghai PI for this event. And I wish they would add 100 seats to the Apex because these fights at the Shanghai PI feel like real fights. You know, there's actual crowd noise. It's not just a couple of random people yelling and clapping. It's an actual crowd. And they feel like real fights, and the events at the Apex feel like episodes of the Ultimate Fighter. So I wish the UFC would either change the Apex or they would build a new arena. I mean, there's nothing but empty land around that Apex. If you look at some of the, the shots they do of the exterior, I wish they would either buy it and build, you know, like a 1300 seat stadium or something like that. I don't know if that's economically feasible, but just having a couple hundred people in the, uh, in the Shanghai PI makes it feel a lot more fun than the apex, which sounds like ultimate fighter episodes. Um, so there was this non-tournament fight, and it was Tylock New Raja versus Hansel Kim. And New Raja is called the Chinese John Jones, um, but also John Jones is known for his defense as well as his dynamic offense. And there must not be a Chinese word for the for defense because this fellow was not familiar with that term. For that matter, they might not have a word for defense in South Korea either because Hansel Kim did not seem overly familiar with the concept. Tylock was throwing all kinds of wild strikes, and that was surprising. And what was surprising was that a lot of them were actually landing. Most of the fight was these two guys standing in the pocket and exchanging. Great action. Round two, Tylock landed a clean elbow right as Kim was throwing a punch that put Kim face down, ass up. I don't know how well New Raja would do in the UFC. You know, all that spinning and wild stuff would probably set him up for some easy takedowns. And uh, he would probably have a problem in that regard. But I love his philosophy on fighters being entertainers first. That's my KO of the night, KO of the tournament. I don't know if these fights are eligible for UFC KO of the year, but it definitely should be in consideration. It was a thing of beauty. I'll be posting it on my shorts and on my TikTok and Instagram just so y'all could find out what you missed during this um, this week of, this weekend uh, UFC Road Shanghai fights. The main event of this episode was Lee Kaiwen versus Liu Kai. These guys had some bad blood going into the fight. They're both experienced fighters, and they both have a lot to like. Lee Kaiwen fought and won for many years, and I think the UFC landing him for this tournament, it's a pretty big deal. I hate to see a guy this talented and entertaining leave one, but it's cool that the UFC picked him up and that they recognize what a star, what star potential this guy has. And, you know, he has all the star power to be the next big thing out of China, to, to kind of be that male Chinese superstar. He's got the look. He's covered in tattoos. He's got the bleach blonde hair. He's just a cool looking dude. And he's got a big personality. He's got an exciting fan friendly style. And I hear he even speaks a little bit of English. So this guy could be big, you know. And all he has to do is win. 
And that he did with a crushing TKO of Lukai in the very first round. He set it up with a clean uppercut, and once he had Kai hurt, he poured it in for the finish. Lukai went as laser accurate. His striking accuracy in chaotic situations reminds me exactly of Anderson Silva. This injects an exciting element uh, to the road of USC featherweight tournament. And it capped off a great night of fights that saw three finishes and just two decisions. Again, two nights in a row, 60% finish rate. That capped off the flyweight semifinals and the featherweight semifinals. From Japan, we have Ray Saruya. And from the U.S., we have Mark Klamako. That's fight one for the flyweight semis. We also have from China, Jin Yu Wei versus Korea's Sung Guk Choi. And then in featherweight semis, we have Ija from China and Sangwoo Kim from Korea. And then facing off in the last fight of the featherweight semis sometime later in this year, the UFC hasn't told us when, but some at some point, from Japan, Kuya Kanda versus Lee Kai Wen of China. And, you know, like I said, Lee Kai Wen's my, my pick to win that whole thing, to win the whole featherweight uh, tournament. So just to recap, we have three fighters from China, two fighters from Japan, two fighters from Korea. And for some reason in this Asian tournament, we have one fighter from the U.S. Episode three was Hong versus Rong Zhu. And this started night two of the tournament. Even though it's the third episode, it's the second night. Night two of the tournament, we got the bantamweights and the lightweights. Bigger boys, more finishes. That's the idea anyway. I like this show in the Shanghai PI. You know, it, it's a work in progress. I don't have the same, it doesn't have the same amount of polish as the UFC events. You could sometimes hear like the producers on hot mics and the camera work isn't as refined. Sometimes they'll switch to a camera and it'll be like pointed at the mat or something like that. But still a damn good show. It's, it's enjoyable. It's fun. You know, I'm having fun watching this. Not every fight, not every single fight is amazing, but a lot of them are. There's a lot of excitement. I would say in general, this is more exciting than a lot of the, the weekend shows that the UFC puts on. So the big fight on this episode is that is featuring Rong Zhu. And if that name sounds familiar, you know, he's the star of this lightweight tournament. And that's because he's a UFC vet. He did go one and two before getting cut. And he had a big spotlight on him in this competition. He competed in the first season. That's how he got into the UFC. Expectations were high for him, for sure. Boy, did he deliver. His opponent, kind of a strange guy, but I like him. The Honey Badger, Song Chan Hong. He was hoping to implement the wrestling game to neutralize some of Rong Zhu's striking abilities, but you know what they say. If hopes and wishes were nuts and fishes, we'd never, we'd never ever go hungry again. The difference between a high-level fighter and a UFC high-level fighter is the ability to like continually implement your game and constantly adapt to what your opponent is doing. And Rong Zhu did just that. He landed a clean jump knee, and when Hong attempted to take down Rong Zhu, he shook it off and landed an ultra-clean left hook and followed it up with a couple punches, finished off the fight. Obviously, Rong Zhu is going to be a force in this tournament. We also saw Sang Hoon Yu of South Korea get a come-from-behind victory over Chris Hoffman with a third-round jump knee KO. And this was another non-tournament opener. In a fight in which Hoffman was well ahead on the scorecard. So there there were some good fights on this card as well. Episode 3 didn't quite deliver the excitement that Episodes 1 and 2 did or that 4 will deliver. But we still get a great night of fights. And we still had three finishes in five fights. So we're keeping up with that 60% finish rate. So episode four, which is the final episode of the quarterfinals, uh, featured a main event 
in which we had a lightweight eliminator featuring Bahati Bola, Bada Baluchi, and Juan Binki. And Bahati Bola, Bada Baluchi was fully in control of the first two rounds and looking like he was cruising to a finish when Juan Binki poked him in the eye. And after an extensive medical timeout, we got back to action. Once the fight restarted, Juan Binki landed his most dominant strike of the night, which was uh, a straight right that dropped in an early finish, uh, body, body bola, bada Balucci. And when Key went in for the finish, he struck bada, bada Balucci in the back of the head like four times. And Mark Goddard stepped in and halted the action. Now, if you enjoyed the acting that Aljamain Sterling exhibited in his title winning performance against Peter Yan, then you're going to love the Oscar winning performance put on by Bahati Bola Badabalucci. Here's the thing. Getting hit in the back of the head is not as bad as being hit in the face or behind the ear. It's just one of those weird things that's illegal in North American MMA. Since this is a tournament, Bahati Bola Badabalucci knew that if he said he could not continue, he would probably get the win. He was up on the scorecards, even though even though uh, Key had nearly finished him in that exchange, probably would have finished him if Mark Goddard had stopped in, stepped in. He knew because of the score, the way the fight scored, that's scored as round by round instead of as a whole. He'd probably get the win on the judge's decision. All he had to do was a little acting. And that's a smart move. I mean, that's the same thing I would do if I was in his position. Why continue to fight and possibly get caught with another straight right from Key? I don't... Blame the man. I just want to put it out there that he's acting and his actions go into my mountainous pile of evidence that all fighters are fake tough guys. Despite the weird ending, this capped off an amazing night of fights with a 100% finish rate. Five fights, five finishes. It was a great episode to finish off a great, a great tournament, a great two nights of fights. And, uh, you know, I just really enjoyed it. My fight of the night is again going to be a non-tournament fight. That's Peter Daniso versus Kim Sai Shong. And the flying knee that Peter Daniso landed on Sim Kai Shong was the stuff of legends. And for the plus 320 underdog, if that doesn't ensure his spot as the first male tie fighter in the UFC, I have no idea what will. Hopefully we see Peter Daniso in the UFC soon. So in case you didn't notice, three of the four non-tournament fights were bangers. And they all had uh, some amazing finishes. I'm going to put some of those finishes up on my socials. So check me out on Instagram and TikTok. That's at the one FC podcast with underscores in between all the words at the underscore one underscore FC underscore podcast. Like subscribe, click that little heart up there. Pay me in electronic hearts. I love it. You'll love it too. And then my fighter watch for the, for this episode is the featherweight who is moving up to lightweight, Shin Haraguchi. Haraguchi is a Japanese Khabib. You could see it in his aggressive grappling style and proficiency with that figure four leg lock. He got a 10-8 over the Indonesian fighter, Renji Padalima, in the first round and went ahead and finished him off ground and pound in the second. Shin Haraguchi is a young fighter with a ton of UFC potential. And my pick for the winner of the Road to UFC lightweight tournament. Once again, that's five of five finish finishes to cap off a great tournament.
So our bantamweight quarterfinalists are going to be Shao Long versus Shuya Kami Kubo and Da'armasai Shawupasa versus Chang Oli. And then our lightweight quarterfinalists are going to be Rong Zhu versus Sangwoo Kim and Shin Haraguchi versus Bahati Bula Badabulachi. And in case you're wondering, that's 14 finishes in 20 fights resulting in a 70% finish rate. My only question is, why don't we do this more often? You know, like maybe once a month. I'm serious, you know. Everybody wants to get into the Chinese market. But the most they do is, you know, maybe a tournament here and there. And that goes for 1FC as well. You know, if if the Chinese market's so important, if this is where we want to be, if this is where we want to develop the talent, we've got a place there where we can, we've already proven based on, on this event, you can put fights on there, you can find the talent, and it's great content. It's awesome action. You know, I, I, I rate this event above most of the Apex events that I see. You know, don't get me wrong. Every once in a while, there's a banger at the Apex. But let's also be honest about the fact that most of the fighters on the Apex aren't household names. You know, there's a streak in uh, the Apex fights where three fights in a row, the only ranked fighters were the two fighters in the main event. So it's not like having fighters that people haven't heard of is going to hurt an event like this. It's the same thing with contender series. Nobody knows who the guys on the contender series are unless their name's Bo Nickel. You know, I think the UFC should really invest in the Chinese market and should regularly put on events here. I, I, I don't see any reason why they couldn't do an event like this once a month. You know, give it a give it a flashy name, put it on an off day, don't put it on a Saturday, maybe on a Friday to compete with with one FC's Friday fights. You know, I don't know when I'm going to have the time to watch all this stuff and make videos about it, but I would love it as a fan. And I think it makes sense as a business move. You know, the the one FC is on its way to cornering the Chinese market. You know, they've got way more Chinese fighters. They, they host events way closer to China. It's, it's stylistically, it's what the Chinese fans want. So the UFC has some catch up to do. And I think this is the way they could do it. And, uh, you know, they have the resources to do it. And it just seems to me that one of my big issues with North American MMA is that there's not enough action. There's not enough finishes. Fighters are rewarded for being good wrestlers and not good fighters. It seems like the fighter who stalls the best wins. And there was none of that or very little of that going on in this event. And it was just an enjoyable thing as an MMA fan to watch. And I would literally watch it every weekend, but I'll settle for once a month. So UFC, Dana White, if you're out there, if you're listening, and I know you are because this is the fastest growing MMA podcast in America and probably the world. Give us more of this. We deserve it. We've been good boys and girls. We've signed up for Fight Pass, 78 bucks out of my pocket. I'll never get it back. We paid $85 for pay-per-views. We pay $5 a month for ESPN. Give us some more Asian MMA. What's the worst that can happen? I mean, it couldn't flop worse than Power Slap League. Anyways, I'm going to ask you all one more time. You know, since I'm the only person in the, the podcasting space covering this road to Shanghai, you had to seek me out to find it. This is unique content. You're not getting it anywhere else. 
I'm doing the favor for you by finding the unique content. You do the favor for me. Like, subscribe, share with your loser friends. Tell them, hey, there's just this handsome podcaster that I can't stand to look at, but I can't stand to look away either. And I want him to ruin your life too. So you like and subscribe, your friends like and subscribe. And before you know it, we could grow this thing together. And then you could say, hey, I was there in the early days. I was there, you know, before the, all the big sponsorships. I was there before, you know, Dave Moore started dating that trans supermodel, you know. I was there for all of that. You know, when he was recording in his mom's office that looks like a drug rehab center, I was there in those early days. And I helped him get monetized so he could become a millionaire and totally destroy his life. Anyways, in all seriousness, I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. I can't wait to do more content for you. Here we are signing off the One Championship Podcast. Thank you for listening to The One.